to get us rolling, I want to start with um, what may be a fascinating question to some of us. For others, it may not be a fascinating question um, at all. But the question is, what, what, what do you think um, should come to mind when you hear the term Christian? Um, when somebody says that word, what, what are the things that, um, if you're a Christian, that you would like people to think of? And, and maybe if you're not a Christian, maybe the better question would be, what does come to mind um, when somebody says the word Christian, because everybody has interacted and had exchanges with people who they knew to be Christians and not all of those things um, were positive and went well. And for a lot of people, um, although there's some other things that I'm sure are involved, um, for a lot of people, their interactions with Christians is what keeps them from further exploring becoming a Christian uh, themselves. Because, um, you know, cards out on the table, not all of us are the greatest all the time. <laughs> and uh, we don't always put our best foot forward. But but Christian simply means um, being a follower of Jesus. Being a follower of Jesus, which means that as followers of Jesus, that we should, to some degree, look like Jesus. And as we discovered last week, um, <clears throat> Jesus was not fragile. And Jesus did not operate with fear. And Christianity is not fragile. And if Jesus isn't fragile, and the movement that started from Jesus isn't fragile, and we're supposed to be following that, that means that we should be, yeah, not fragile. Yeah. And so as I look around, I, I, I'm not sure that, that, that that's really happening. And I look at Christianity, especially um, you know, and I'm picking on American Christianity a lot in this series. I, I look sometimes and I wonder, um, what's wrong with us? Or, or maybe the better question would be, what has gone wrong with us in American Christianity? Because in the first century, like Christianity and Christians were irresistible. Like there was something about them that drew people to them. There was something appealing about Christianity. Um, the only reason that Christianity survived the first century, the only reason that Christianity was able to survive persecution from the Romans, that Christianity was able to survive persecution from the Jewish temple and the people who were running that, the only reason is because there was something uniquely attractive about Christians themselves. People who had committed themselves to following this person, Jesus, when they were doing it the way that it was supposed to be done, there was something so appealing and so attracting about them that, that people just seemed to be gravitated towards it. And as you look at the, the example that, that Jesus put out for us when he spent time on earth, I mean, Jesus liked people and invested in people and spent time with people who were nothing like him. And who were the people that, that the, the leaders of the established religious culture like shunned, turned their back on, condemned? No, Jesus and those people, they, they, they came together. And so even though there was so much for first century Christians to fear, I mean, <laughs> all of the 12 saved John paid for their faith with their life. And so many other Christians who joined the movement were persecuted and were killed for their faith. But even though there was so much to fear in first century Christianity, they had their faith and they lived fearlessly. So I come back to that question, what's happened to us? 
What's happened to us? When, when people hear the word Christians, I mean, they have a dozen different things that pop in their mind. Some of them may be positive, some of them may be negative, but there's a lot of things. But somewhere along the way, Christians lost their reputation as being fearless people. In fact, somewhere along the way, it got to be the opposite. The Christians were afraid of everything that was coming against them. And we got ourselves into these little Christian bubbles and we only wanted to interact with Christian people at any time the outside world or the secular came in. We were like, ah, and we freaked out. And it just all seemed, it just all seemed so fragile and so frail that, oh, if any of this other stuff comes around, we're not gonna be able to stand. It's all gonna fall apart. We just, somewhere we lost the reputation for being fearless and it's, and when I hear so many people talking about some of the things that are, that are going on and happening and, 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 and taking place within our country and just worrying about like what may or may not happen and so much speculation and conjecture going on, I'm sure that Jesus looks at us and the things that we're really concerned about as Christians in America and just wonders, what? What are you spending your time worrying about now? I mean, okay, you, you live in the U.S., so let's keep perspective. And you're freaking out about economy. And you freak out about job stability. And you freak out about yesterday's tweets. And you freak out about and you, you know, all the things that we spend our time freaking out about. And it's almost as if Jesus would look at us and be like, have you guys forgotten who it is you follow? Have you forgotten the one that you've dedicated yourself to? to following and the example that I put down and the things that I was concerned with. I mean, come on. Jesus would look at us and he said, listen, I rode into Jerusalem, broad daylight, right down Main Street, knowing I was gonna be arrested and die a gruesome, shameful death. I knew that was what's gonna happen. So, so tell me again, what are you guys all worried about? What's got you filled with anxiety? What are the things that you spend time stressing about whenever you feel stress? And it's kind of embarrassing, really, when we think about it and where our place is within context of the world and within history and the things that we spend time worrying about. And, and, and I'm afraid that after we look at today's passage, it may even actually be a little bit more embarrassing for us. But today I wanna look at an extraordinary passage of scripture. <clears throat> In fact, 2,000 years ago, nobody knew what was going to happen. With this little fledgling group that had this idea and this thing that they believed and they started going out, nobody knew. They were just a small group of people who believed that Jesus raised, was raised from the dead. And some of them believed it because they talked to him after he had raised from the dead. And so there's this little, this group of people and there were, there were small gatherings that started to pop up all over the place. And they had this common thing. They, they believed that Jesus was the Messiah. They believed that he was the son of God. And they believed that he actually rose from the dead because they had either met somebody who had talked to Jesus or met somebody who met somebody that talked to a resurrected Jesus. And so they had no idea. I mean, they had questions like, is this movement gonna go anywhere? Is this gonna go beyond our little town or our little village? Is this worth the time that we're investing? Are we just kidding ourselves? 
Are we lying to ourselves and lying to our children? Are, are, are we throwing our lives away for virtually nothing? Because if this turns out to be nothing, not only does, do we not get what we thought we were gonna get, but now we've put ourselves on the outside of the existing religious culture, which was not just the religious culture, but was the culture culture. And so they would find themselves shunned in that area. And so no doubt, so many of these people, the earlier, earliest followers of Jesus were like, hmm, is this worth it? And so the author of Hebrews writes to a first century audience. And the message that the writer of Hebrews wants to say is, yeah, it's absolutely worth it. Knowing that all of these people were sacrificing so much and had these questions. He says, yeah, it is absolutely worth it. Here's how, here's how it begins. And the first verse is a verse that, that if you've grown up in church, um, you're familiar with the verse, but I guarantee you for a large portion of you, um, <clears throat> this verse has been used so far out of context that it's kind of dizzying a little bit. It's amazing how many preachers have misused this verse. And so today I'm gonna try to correct some faulty thinking, which may sound arrogant, but give me a minute, you'll see I'm right. <laughs> uh, double down the arrogance. <clears throat> so Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse one, it says this, says, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. That, that's the definition of biblical faith. But that's not just the definition of biblical, biblical faith. That's, that's what faith means in general, it's confidence that somebody is going to keep their word. If somebody says they're gonna do something, that they're going to do it. Now, the part of this passage that nobody ever talks about, which is where we're gonna get into today, is the part that follows it. Because we hear that part a lot and there's a lot of sermonizing that goes on about that part. But then, then it keeps going. It says this, which is this kind of faith that he's talking about. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then the author goes all the way back to the, the Old Testament and he begins to talk about the famous people that all of his audience would have heard of growing up, the stories that they would know. And if you grew up in church in Sunday school, it's all the same people that you know and have heard of growing up. He spends time talking about Moses' mama and the faith that she had and not and keeping Moses alive and the faith that it took to put him in the river and basically give him to God. He talks about Moses. He talks about Isaac and all of these incredible people, Abraham. He, he goes through and he just starts listing all of these incredible people who had these incredible amounts of faith. And he says, these people were not incredible because they got some harebrained idea and got God to go along with them and do something. That's not why, that's not why these people are to be commended. These people who had so much faith, who become just, just foundational pillars of the, of the faith, these people are to be commended because God made them a promise and then they lived their lives as if they believed God was going to keep that promise. See, faith is simply believing God is gonna do what God says he's gonna do. And it's living your life in such a way every day that reflects the idea that you believe God's gonna come through on what he says. And then the writer launches into just this, this powerful passage. He says, all of these people, the ones we grew up hearing about, all the ones that were like, oh yeah, great stories, such faith. All of these people were still living by faith when they died. 
Okay, here's what that means. That means that they lived their entire life believing God was gonna live up to his promises. And then they died, never seeing God fulfill those promises. They did not receive what was promised. They could only see those things from a distance. And that's, that, that's what this is referring to. God said, Abraham, listen, I'm going to create a nation through you. And not only am I gonna create a nation for you, but this nation is going to bless the entire world. And man, when Abraham heard God say that, he was probably like, man, that sounds good. Sign me up, create a nation through me, bless the entire world. God said, okay, let's do it. And Abraham never saw that fulfilled. And Isaac never saw that fulfilled. And Jacob never saw that fulfilled. And generation after generation of Israelites never saw that promise fulfilled. Yet, there was always a core. There was always a group of people. There was always a remnant of people who still believed that even though the generations before them had not seen it, that God would come through on his promises. And the author of Hebrews kind of bears down a little bit, starts digging, look at this. He says, some of these people face jeers and floggings. We looked at flogging just a little bit last week. We, that's not really something we're familiar with in our culture. So we breeze over that word. It's nothing to breeze over. So they faced jeers and floggings, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. Like, this is intense. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. So pretty much they sacrificed everything. They sacrificed literal lives. They sacrificed attaining anything. They were poor and they had nothing and they were being persecuted and being chased. And then it's like, then it's as if the writer of Hebrews kind of pauses for a minute and kind of just starts thinking about all of these stories, both the stories of the Old Testament and the people that he was referring to. And then the stories of the people that no doubt the author knew and were familiar with some of the stories of the movement and the growing of, of Christianity. And it's as if these emotions just kind of come flooding in and it gets a bit overwhelming. As he thinks about the, you know, Moses' mom who had to, to basically give up her child and hope it was okay. Moses facing Pharaoh, hoping that it turned out okay. Abraham trusting God and leaving everything. And all of these people, all of these dots that needed to be connected to get the story, to get the movement of God from where it was in the Old Testament into where we saw Jesus show up and then everything that the people had to sacrifice to begin to take that story of Jesus and get it out of Jerusalem and get it out of the first century. And now the writer of Hebrews is writing and he's on the other side of the resurrection. And on the other side of the resurrection, having seen the promise fulfilled, it's as if the writer's kind of thinking like, oh my goodness, what if they had given up? What if they had lost faith way back then? Right, well, what if they'd given up on the promises of God and sitting here as a Christian in the first century as I'm writing this stuff down thinking, wow, wow, this is so incredible that none of this would have been possible if they had lost faith 
if they hadn't lived as if God was going to fulfill his promises, even though for generations and generations, it didn't look like God was going to be doing that. And then he, the writer delivers one of the most powerful statements in the New Testament. Verse 30, it says this, the world was not worthy of them. The world was not worthy of them. Maybe, maybe the writer's sitting there thinking about their own complaints, about what's going on. And they're like, man, man, there were times I was tempted to give up. It just started to get a little hard and it would have been so easy to just be like, ah, forget that. I'm just gonna go back to the regular Jewish thing. I'm just gonna, that's what I'm gonna do, forget that. And, and now maybe looking as he's writing, looking at what everybody else endured through being like, wow, some of the stuff I was tempted to give up over Some of the stuff I was tempted to not pursue what God wanted me to pursue because it was gonna cost me something. And now when I look at what it was gonna cost, it just seems so trivial in the big picture of the story. It seems so trivial trivial in the amount that other people had to sacrifice and give up and pay to get to this point. So the only thing you could think of is, wow, that is such great faith that the world was not worthy of them. And basically what, he, what, he, what the writer is saying is he's saying, look, listen, there was once a version of faithfulness to God that elicited heroic living. I don't know, my, I don't, I don't know how much of us have that kind of faith in God that it elicits heroic living out of us. There, there was once a version of faithfulness to God that caused people to stand back and look at the people who had that version of faith and be like, oh my goodness, who are these people? How are they able to live like this? There was a version of faithfulness to God that caused people to just stop and stare and be in awe, that caused people to be so impressed that they could not resist them. And they said, I I don't know if I can buy into everything that they say that they believe, but there's something about them that I wanna be around them and I wanna be a part of them. And over time, that group grew and grew and grew. And the thing is, is that when that group grew, what happens so much in our culture is when a movement or a group kind of starts, that group tends to be very homogenous. And there's this type of people join into this movement and this type of people join into this movement. And it's all kind of broken up in these different movements. And sometimes there's some intersectionality between some of the causes and some of the different movements be like, yeah, but we're not getting enough, but we're not getting enough. And it's like, no, 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 wait, we should be together against this. But, uh, and it just gets, and it's all segregated. But this movement, this following of Jesus and this spread of Christianity, it was rich and it was poor and it was men and it was women and it was Jews and it was Gentiles. It was from people from all walks of life who many of them had nothing in common with other people in the movement except for Jesus. And the faith and the faithfulness that they lived with was so great that people found it irresistible. They found it awe-inspiring. He keeps going, verse 39, he says, these were all commended for their faith yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God, now, so far I've been talking about past people. This is the part where you guys come in, all right? This is your part, so pay attention. None of them had received what had been promised since God had planned something better 
for us. See, the reason that God didn't do what they hoped he would do when they hoped he would do it, while they were alive so that they could see it, while they would have some earthly sense of satisfaction of seeing God come through. The reason he didn't is because God had something so much bigger in mind than something for just that small group of people. God had something in mind that was actually for the entire world. And here we are a half a world and 2000 years away from where all of these activities happen. And here we are sitting on a Sunday morning gathered talking about a relatively obscure, if none of this stuff was really true, Jewish carpenter. Which when I think about that, like my response is like, wow, what had to happen to get us here? But God was up to something big. He was up to something majestic. He was up to something international. And these people could not comprehend what God was up to, but they remained faithful anyway, even though they didn't understand the whole plan, even though God didn't come through, even though there were people that were looking at them from the outside and mocking them because of their faith in God. But God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. And that word perfect means that there there was a completion to God's plan, to God's idea. So to, to, to summarize it like this, everybody in the Old Testament was looking forward to what God was up to. And they stayed faithful to God, even though they never saw him come through. Now we on the other side, we're looking back Right? We're looking back. We've got, we've got the privilege to be able to see not just where it started way back at the beginning and those people of the faith, but we, to see the arc of how God moved things, to see the fulfillment of it through Jesus and the resurrection, to watch the incredible amount that had to go into spreading that message. We're sitting on the other side of it to watch how the church was launched and was persecuted and then survived and thrived. And there, listen, there is so much evidence for us within all of that throughout all of history. There is so much evidence in all of it that there is no reason, there is no reason that we should be fearful of anything. There's no reason. We should be the most fearless people on the planet. Not because because of what God promised, like the people before had to be fearless for, but because of what he did, the fulfillment of that promise, because we get to see it from the other side. So then the writer tells us and tells their first century audience what they're to do. So This whole idea, now that we're on the other side and we got to see the resurrection, the fulfillment of the promise, here's what you should do. Therefore, which therefore always means in light of, in light of everything I've talked about, in light of of what God's done, the fact he kept his promises, the fact that all these people were faithful when they shouldn't have been. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the writer's talking about all those Old Testament saints, But for us, it's even better because our cloud of witnesses isn't just the Old Testament saints that he was referring to. Our cloud of witnesses includes the apostle Paul, who even though he was beaten and tortured and ultimately killed for his faith, brought us most of the New Testament. 
We've got Peter who was crucified by Nero because of his faith. We've got Matthew and all of the people who traveled the Mediterranean Rim spreading the gospel. These people all now make up a part of our cloud of witnesses that we get to see. And then even beyond that generation, there was the second and the third generation of Christians who once the people who had seen it and been a part of it had died and gone off and, and were not around anymore. That's when it's easy for something to start to fall apart because now everybody's just wondering, was it just a story? Well, do we have any eyewitnesses left? But the people who kept it together and kept the faith moving forward. And then the 15th and the 16th century Christians who some of them sacrificed their life to be able to translate the scriptures into languages that people could read. And every time we pick up our Bibles and read out of our English Bibles, it's because people understood. Even though, even though this may cost me my life, I will be fearless and do what it is that God wants me to do. All of those people are part of our cloud of witnesses the ones who made the sacrifices to make it happen, the ones who showed us God can be trusted. It's worth it. So therefore, since we're surrounded by all these witnesses, what should we do? Here we go. The writer says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us hide and whine and complain and hoard our resources just in case and put our Bibles in a drawer and build bomb shelters and purchase ammunition and blame the cops, blame the politicians, blame our mom, build a wall, tax the rich, find someone to sue, take our country back and pray that Jesus comes back so we don't have to suffer anymore. Is there anybody I didn't offend? Cause I try to hit all of you. <laughs> Can you imagine how we sound and how our culture looks to the great cloud of witnesses who sacrificed so much, who stayed fearlessly faithful in the face of fear? Can you imagine? Man, they would probably look at us and they'd be like, what? You're worried of what? You're scared of who? You're anxiety ridden. Why? What, 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 is, what is it that's going on? Listen, forget the great cloud of witnesses. Can you imagine how we must look to Christians in places like Syria and Iraq right now? When they, when they, when they pray, I promise you, it does not look like our prayers. It's vastly different. The Christians who are in refugee camps wondering where their daughters are, afraid to imagine what might be happening to them yet they continue to believe and continue to stay faithful. And how embarrassing if they were to hear us be like, Lord, thank you for the day. Um, help me to get this promotion. Um, help so-and-so to stop being so annoying at work. Help my kids to get into the right school. Um, help my husband to find his keys so he stops being late for work and doesn't get fired. And uh, thank you for the beautiful day in Jesus' name, amen. And then we get up and go. <laughs> So many Christians, both in history and in other parts of the world today, would look at us in our prayers and be like, what? Why, why? what do you think Christianity is? That's it? Do you have any idea the price that people paid to even be able to hear the name of Jesus? So the French, 
The first century writer tells us this, says when we're overwhelmed with anxiety, when fears begin to, to creep up within us, right? When it looks like our world is falling apart, when it looks like Christianity's in decline and nobody pays attention anymore and nobody's generous like a Christian anymore and nobody seems to behave like Christians anymore. What happened? Why can't it be like the old days? Here's what the writer says to us. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. He said, listen, listen, listen. And all the things that you guys are going through, instead of blaming, instead of being critical, instead of being anxious and worrying and nervous, you need to look into the mirror and you need to ask some questions. You need to look at yourself in the mirror and ask, what is holding me back from a fearless faith? Well, what is it? What is it that, why am I not all in on this? What is it about the way that I've structured my belief and my faith that has caused me to be like, well, I'll do some things. I'll go to church. I'll be a part of things and I'll say I'm a Christian. But what's holding me back from really diving in and being fully invested within that? Because listen, the darker things get, the brighter a light shines. And the more uncertain things are, the certainty of faith shines brighter and brighter and brighter. And so here's a question for us. What are we afraid of really? When we worry about things, what are we worrying about really? What are the things that we need to throw off and leave behind and not allow to entangle us anymore? What is it that's hindering us from embracing fully the uncertainty and embracing it fearlessly as a follower of Jesus? And now's the time where you'd want me to lighten up, but the writer really digs in, so I'm not gonna. <clears throat> so he tells us, he says, you need to get rid of the things that hinder, the things that entangle, and let us run with perseverance. Perseverance, that is don't back down. Don't bail out. Don't give up when it gets hard. Don't turn back and stop running whenever it seems like God's not gonna come through. We need to run with perseverance, the race marked out for us. And that is very specifically saying, listen, for our generation, there is specific things that we are supposed to be doing. For the Christians living in America, there are things we're supposed to be doing and supposed to be involved with. We have something very specific to do. We have a role to play. We have a difference to make. We have a race to run that is specific for us. But the question is, are we up for it? Are we up for it? Is our version of Christianity and what we think faith in God has been to this point, is that up to, is that up to being able to do what God would have us to do in this time? Listen, last week, as I started out this series, I really wanted to try and make of a point that, that as American Christians, we, we, we don't really have, there's no threat of death to us and, and we don't really have any um, persecution on us. But I wanted to make a point, I, I, I went too far because there are definitely people who because of their faith in God and the commitment to the race that they've set out before them, they have been persecuted and they've lost their life in this country. And there are people who by the very nature of who they are, are persecuted in this country. And for those of us who have never been in such a position, 
For those of us, for those of us um, who have never experienced that, there's this tendency. And man, people really don't like when you point out this tendency. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna point it out generally, and then you cannot like it thinking I'm talking specifically about you, but I probably am. So there's this tendency for the people that don't face some of these things to find something that they can find to say, oh, I'm finding something too. And I'm being persecuted and this is coming against me too. And kind of get on the whole, the whole pity party wagon and ride that and be like, no, no, I'm in it too. I'm in it too. You know, we're just all being attacked. And I'll be honest, listen, many of us have had it so easy that we don't even know what the race God has set for us is because we haven't been looking for it. Our version of Christianity has not pointed us to that direction. Our version of Christianity has pointed us to protection and comfort and being provided for. That, that, that's not a good version of Christianity. So many of us are just consumed with things being easier for us. But if we take the time to comprehend and understand what it is that came before us and what it took for us to be able to meet here freely today, to be able, able to talk about this, it should change our perspective. We should be all in knowing that everything that went before us. We should be fearless knowing what everybody who came before us went through. And we should be able to discover the role that God has for us specifically in this time, in our country, in this generation. But here's the key. While we're looking for that, we've got to be looking at the right place. While we're looking for a way to make a difference, while we're looking for a way to be fearless and confident, we've got to be looking at the right place. Here's, here's what the writer says it's got to be. Fixing your eyes on Jesus. And here's where so many of us stumble because we've got our eyes fixed on the wrong thing. So many of us have our eyes fixed on safety and security and who can we blame and how can things be easier? And as long as our eyes are fixed there, we will never find the race that is set out before us. We will never fulfill the destiny that Christ has for us in our life in this time. I mean, can you imagine, can you imagine what it would, be look, what it would look like if just for 24 hours, just 24 hours, every single Christian in this country approached everything they did thinking, I wanna do what Jesus would do here. I wanna respond to this the way that Jesus would respond. I wanna react to people the way Jesus would react. I wanna feel and look at people and interpret people the way Jesus would interpret people. And then I want my actions to be according. Can you imagine if we could just pull that off for 24 hours, every Christian, like what a difference that would make in our country. Because somebody acting like that one time changed the world. And if we, as followers of that person, were to act like that now, we could change the world again. But not if we're afraid. Not if we have fear. Because approaching the world like that is going to cost you something. He says, fix your eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. He's saying, if you wanna know what your faith should look like, if you're doing it right, look to the one who started it and who perfected it. The one who did not abandon his mission in the face of death. 
So I ask you, have you, have you had a decision that you've had to make? Have you come to a point in which you had to continue on in what you thought God wanted you to do? And you had to make the choice to continue on because if you did, it was gonna cost you something. And not just cost you something minor that you'd be able to be, oh, get over real quick. I mean, really cost you something. That it was gonna hurt. That it was gonna damage you in some way. Have you ever... And if you have gotten to a point where you've had to make that decision, did you continue fearlessly or did you look at that and allow the fear of what you were gonna lose, the fear of what it was gonna cost you, cause you to quit running the race? Now, if I ask that question and you're sitting there and you're searching your mind trying to come up with, have I ever been in a position where I've had to make that choice? that it was gonna cost me something dearly. If you think about that and you can't come up with an idea, listen, you're not doing faith in Christianity right. And I know that's offensive for me to tell you you're doing it wrong, but if you have not gotten to a point to where following God has cost you something, then you're not really following. You're just showing up to church on Sundays. Being a follower of Jesus means there's something for you to accomplish. And it's probably gonna cost you something. But your savior showed you how to stare down fear fearlessly. And if you're gonna be a follower of him, guess what you're gonna have to do? You're gonna have to be fearless in the face of fear. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, on one hand, I want to let us off the hook really bad. Because after all, Father, we're a product of our culture. This is, this is what we've known. This is how we've grown up. This is how we've been taught. This is, this is just what, what we are. So there's a part of me that wants to, to, to pardon us and, and give us a free pass. But God, we, we can't. If we're going to be followers of Jesus... Lord, I pray that you cause us to take stock of what our current version of Christianity is. And Lord, convict us of how it looks nothing like what Christianity should be. Lord, I pray that you bring opportunities along our path for us to begin to discover the race that you have set before us. And that through the courage that we can find in seeing what others before us went through and the faithfulness that they had to be able to endure, even when it didn't seem like they had any reason to endure, God, may that strengthen us. God, may being on the other side of the promise being fulfilled, may it strengthen us and cause us to realize we have nothing to fear. And let us go after you and what you have for our life and let us not be deterred by the things that would cause us to fear. Lord, I thank you for the work that was done through Christ in the cross. And God, I pray that our faith becomes something worthy of that work. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out today, even though you may not be glad you were out today but I think I gave you something to think about. <laughs> See you next week. It's a